This episode of MQ Open Mind features a description of a sexual assault and a graphic description of a car accident. There will be content warnings before each section. Hi there, I'm Rory O'Connor, Professor of Health Psychology and a Mental Health Researcher at the University of Glasgow. And I'm Craig, a filmmaker and content creator at MQ Mental Health Research. And welcome to MQ Open Mind, a podcast that brings together lived experience with scientific research to help us to better understand mental health problems. And we hope to do so in a way that is accessible to all. This week we have Armed Forces veteran and CEO of Sporting Force, Tommy Laufer. Tommy served the British Army and subsequently with the Metropolitan Police. During both careers, he experienced several traumatic events, causing him to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. In this episode, we discuss the impact of trauma on mental health, using sports for rehabilitation and understanding the importance of seeking help. Welcome to the latest episode of Open Mind, MQ's podcast. And on this week's episode, Craig and I are delighted to welcome Tommy Lowther. And Tommy is Chief Executive Officer of the sports charity, Sporting Force. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Tommy. Good morning, gents. Welcome in. And so we're just really gonna have a conversation. Um, I've read some of your backstory, Tommy, and it's it's pretty horrific in parts. And but what's remarkable is the journey you've been on. So maybe can maybe to start the podcast before we get into the sort of nitty gritty of your research priorities and what you think might be important for us as a mental health research charity, can you tell us a bit about, about your journey, um, which sort of brought you to the sort of interest and really confronting your own mental health challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think um, it started realistically for me um, at a very, very young age. Um, I was born in Dundee, um, up in Scotland. And um, I was, I was, so my father was very, very abusive, very, very abusive. He used to beat up my mother constantly. Um, I was only young then. Um, he used to sort of hit me, my brothers and my sisters. And, you know, I kind of sort of from quite an early age had to then jump in and, and sort of make sure that that his attention w- would come to me as opposed to my to, to my siblings. So like I say, so I'd do something wrong in order for him to sort of come at me. Um, and then, you know, it kind of sort of over time, um, we, we ended up moving, moving to England. And then um, I seen an advert. Well, actually, I went to I went to an agricultural show, actually. And we seen um, a bunch of guys, you know, there with the the military, and you know they were there with the stands, and you could have a go on, you know, the the paintball rifles and stuff that they had. And just ever since that day, that was it. I was hooked. All I wanted to do was um, was be in the military. Um, I just, you know, I was that I was that kid running around the running around the playground, you know, with with the stick and pretending it was a gun and everything like that. Um, so um, I uh, so at the age of sixteen, um, I joined the um, the Army Foundation College at Harrogate um, and went into junior leaders. Um, so I did really, really well. Um, and um, and then eventually I went on to, to, to my regiment. Um, so I joined I joined the infantry. Um, now, when I was with my regiment, uh, we went out to Northern Ireland um, for the marching season. So, um, you know, for, for those that are sort of not sure about it, you've got the, you know, the Cossacks and the Protestants and they want to march through each other's area and, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't really go down well just to sort of put it in a, in in you know fine detail really. Um and uh, our job um on this particular um on this particular day was to stop the Catholics and the Protestants from getting each other and having 
a mass riot. So obviously we we stand in the middle of them. Um, and so we've got soldiers facing the Catholics and we've got soldiers facing the Protestants. And obviously we're in the middle. Um, and being 18, I was I was just brand newly 18. You know, I just sort of turned 18, um, you know, literally a couple of months before. You know, and obviously, you know, when when you join the military, they they make you think that you're invincible. They, you know, they, they 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 give you this persona that you take on that you know that nothing will ever harm you or or, or... so um so at eighteen year old, I'm I'm thinking right, that's it. You know, I'm going to conquer the world. I'm I'm going to stand in that baseline against all these rioting um Northern Irish sort of um but these people and um yeah and that arrogance very very quickly turned to fear yeah um, i've never felt hostility like it i've never i've never experienced anything anything so hostile in my life so um there, there was petrol bombs coming over um at one point you know um i was i was sort of i, I got set on fire um and it was just and and the, the the guy next to you so you've got six foot shields and the guy next to me he sort of locked in his six foot shield and so what they're called armadillos and they lock into each other Unfortunately, the guy next to me hadn't quite locked in properly, um, and we got pulled into the crowd. Um, now, obviously, I had my helmet on with me, 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 me visor on, but essentially, um, we got, uh, yeah, we, we, I've never had a hiding like it in my life. Mm. Um, they broke all my cheekbone, and where I'd been stamped on, um, I was sort of bruised and battered, and then my face was all burnt from the, um, like all, all, all of my eyebrows and down my nose and stuff was all burnt from. You know, from the from the petrol bombs, um, and it was just it was just the most horrific thing. I, I've just I've never experienced mm. anything like it. And I think you know the way that I always describe it, Rory, is I was kind of a boy in a man's world. That's what yeah. it felt like, and that that's kind of the only way that I can really describe it. Um, eventually, you know, we we come away and um, and we come back to sort of the the, the mainland UK. Um, well, hold on, hold on a second. Just stop you there for a second, Tony. Just so the um, so what is this? Is this the early nineteen nineties? Then is it? Uh, yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we oh no, sorry, no late late nineties. Sorry, late 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 nineties. So I was probably maybe still just about living in Northern Ireland then. But I just remember, I remember the atmospheres obviously over those over those many summers in the nineties of the contentious issues of the um of the Martin season. So really, my heart goes out to you. Really, really difficult, really difficult time. Um, but just curious. And so all so before you go back to obviously uh, um to GB. Did did you so did you get support though? So you're obviously injured. So what support did you get when you on that day or that night or whatever? Um, I mean, you know, even going back just that it's not that long ago. Realistically, it's not that long ago. Um, and the world was even then a different place to what it is now. You know, mm. um, mental health certainly wasn't at the forefront. Um, you know, so it wasn't really something that was such a big issue. You know, it was kind of we were there to do a job, and that kind of. You know, and and just so happened that you got injured a little bit while you know, well, I say a little bit, we got got injured while while we were there. So it's um, no, not not really sort of any support. You have a debrief afterwards, yeah. um, but you know, it's essentially right. Is everyone okay? Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, it was kind of, it was kind of, that was kind of it really, and that was kind of it. You know, there wasn't sort of any, you know, sort of any of the sort of the touchy feely stuff that you might do now. You know, where you sit down and. You know, right? Okay, look, that was actually quite a traumatic thing, and you know, and, and how 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 are you about it? So it wasn't really like that as such. Especially when you're so young, because I think I understand both of you and I have children who are at the same age and at, who are about that age. Now, my daughter's eighteen. Your son thinks she's about to turn, or soon will turn eighteen. Yeah. And both of us 
No, I mean, that's, I mean, that, they're still, well, in your head, they're still children. It's like putting yeah. a young person in that such a dangerous situation. It's just incredible. And I think, I think that was, that, that now, when I, when I reflect now, I look at that and I think, I couldn't imagine our Daniel at that age being strapped with, oh. a, with a rifle, a six foot shield. Well, not, not the rifle when you're in the rice, but, you know, but like, having to sort of go into, into, and it was it felt like a war situation. It genuinely, yeah, felt yeah, like, yeah. you know, okay, the, you know, we, we we didn't have our rifles strapped to us or anything like that. But you know, the hostility was just mm. unbelievable. You know, and I and I could never imagine uh, I know. Daniel being in that in that scenario at the age of he is now. You know, um, yeah. let's like say in the age that he is now was the age that I was sort of preparing to go to Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so we were going to sort of Lidenhide to do all like the you know the the training and stuff like that. And and I think back and I just think like it was just phenomenal, you know, that that, that some was sort of put in that position. But again, I wasn't the only young I, I wasn't the only young one that was there. You know, there, there was a number of us. And when we were in that, it's called the baseline. So you've got like a big game, um, it's like a crowd control obstacle, it's called. So do you know like the, the metal containers like where the council keep all the yeah. Yeah, so there's one of them and that's filled with concrete. Then you've got four soldiers, an armored vehicle, another four soldiers, and another crowd control obstacle the other side, and that's called the baseline. Mm -hmm. So um, so when we were in the baseline, I was stood right next to the crowd control obstacle. So I was sort of leaning against that. I'd hold my six foot shield and my baton. Um, and I thought it was really good of the blokes to say, you know, oh, Tommy, you can go right next to the CCO, the crowd control obstacle. And I know why now, because obviously with it being metal, that's where they aim with the petrol bombs. So, you uh -huh. know, to smash, to smash the glass. So like I say, so the, the, the petrol bombs were coming over, hitting these, you know, the, these containers. And obviously you're then doused in petrol and you were up in flames. And then, you know, you've got and then you've got sort of allocated men who are behind who are firemen who come and then, you know, with fire extinguishing and they and they put you out. Mm -hmm. Now you're trained. You're trained to just ignore the fact that you're ablaze. You know, um and and again, and I think now it's it's sort of eighteen year old, it's just yeah, it, it was. It was it was a lot to go through. And again, you know, there's there's some eighteen year olds who have been through it and they come out and they were absolutely buzzing about it and yeah. you know, it's the best thing the the best thing they've ever experienced. Um, and it was an experience, and it's one that I'll never forget. Um, but I just don't think it stood me in very good stead for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, so then, so then moving in ahead, then Tommy, then so you came back from Northern Ireland back to North of England, and and then did you consent continue to serve in the army, or yes, yeah, I know yeah, you obviously then moved into the Metropolitan Police as well. No. So, um, yeah. So I continued. I continued to serve, um, and then we went out into um, went up to uh, went out to Gibraltar, um, to go into um, a, a, an exercise out in Gibraltar. Um, I was on a. I was on a night out with the, with the, with the lads. Um, we were in the bar, um, and my the, the lads had sort of said, "Right, look, we're, we're going back." I was talking to some girl there, um, you know, at the bar, and um, and so the lads went. Um, I was talking to this girl, and uh, and then they, these these three guys come over, and they said something to the girl, like they sort of, you know, almost whispered it. And I didn't, I didn't catch what it was that they said. I didn't hear what they said. And then all of a sudden, she quickly got up and left. I thought, right, okay, that's bizarre. They never said anything to me, and I never said anything to them. And I thought, right, okay, well, that's fine. So I just sort of got myself up um, and um, and started making my way back to camp. There is about to be an upsetting description of a sexual assault. If you'd prefer not to listen to this, please skip the next 45 seconds of the podcast. Um, on the way back to camp, so you have to go sort of through the Gibraltar Rock. There's like a, there's like a, an archway through the Gibraltar Rock and I, uh, to get back to camp, and I was walking through there, 
Um, and uh, I heard these footsteps behind me. Um, and then I heard them walking, and then I heard them running. You know, you see, you see it on, you know, you you see it on on films and stuff. You know, where someone's mm-hmm. being followed through a dark alley and everything. And and that was essentially that's exactly what it was. Um, and I was um, subsequently I felt a punch to the back of the head. Um, I went down, uh, and then I was uh, and then I was raped by these three guys. Um, taking what happened to me in in Northern Ireland, taking sort of you know the the the, the scenario in Northern Ireland. Well, that that was a walk in the park compared mm. to this. Um, and again, when I go back to that arrogance and I go back to that, you know, that conditioning mm. that the military do when they, they make you think that you're invincible and no one's ever going to hurt Tommy Lowther, no one will ever, no one will ever break me down because I'm this, you know, I'm this universal soldier, you know, who who can't be harmed. Um, now, in mental health, you know, we talk about the fight, the fight, flight, or freeze, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is obviously our natural our natural reaction to, you know, to, to different scenarios. And um, I always thought mine would be fight. And it always has been fight. And, ever, and it always has been ever since. Apart from that one, that one evening. Um, and I completely froze. I had nothing, I had nothing in me to, to sort of, to, to be able to get away from that scenario. I, I couldn't fight them off. I couldn't run. I couldn't talk. I couldn't shout. I was just completely, um, I was just completely in, you know, ensued by this, by this yeah. scenario. Um, That's awful. Yeah, and I think the thing that the thing that got me most was the embarrassment of it. I think mm. you know, um, and the fact that you know that I'm I'm an infantry soldier. This sort of stuff shouldn't be happening to, you know, to 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 people like me. Um, so yeah, so that that sort of brought me that brought me down to earth. Very very quickly. So then, I mean, I mean, that's just awful, Tommy. So, but what? So, so did you tell anybody in the, in the aftermath? No, no, definitely not. Um, the problem. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say anything. Not at first. Um, and it was just something that. I, so I was supposed to be on parade the next day. Um, for the, um, for the regimental photo, or for the, for the company photo, um, and I was I didn't turn up. Um. So I've got this photo now, and obviously I'm I'm not on it. But um, the uh, yeah, I didn't turn up, and then over the coming, well, certainly while we were out there, um, I just drank and drank and drank, and I was just drinking all the time. Mm-hmm. We got back to we got back to the UK, and again I was just drinking and I was fighting, and I was just in. And I was always really smartly presented, you know, like you know, I mean, obviously we we know that you know with soldiers, you know, a lot of the time, you know that the. the we know about they have to press everything and they've got to look impeccable yeah. all the time. And I was, and that's exactly how I was. <clears throat> um, but over the coming sort of months, I just started going downhill. Completely mm-hmm. just went downhill. I, I wasn't bothered about my kit. I wasn't bothered about turning up a parade. I wasn't bothered. I didn't care about anything. All I wanted to do was just go out and, and just and just drink. And, just and drink did, anybody, did anybody, did any of your commanding officers, your colleagues... Did anybody notice anything or? Yeah, well, after a few months, yeah, it, it sort of got to the point where, you know, they were like, look, what, what's going on with you, Tommy? You know, what 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 on earth making you sort of act like this? Um, now, one of the things that, you know, that I mean, I, I deliver mental health courses now, you know, and I go around speaking about this stuff all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the one of the messages that con- constantly gets sort of conveyed is is to talk. You know, is you, you need to talk and you need to talk. The problem was that when I when I did talk about it in this particular, and, and that's right by the way that, that I'm I'm absolutely you know the about the talking and stuff is absolutely right. The only problem was in this scenario mm-hmm. when I did talk, it cost me my career because when I um 
eventually I ended up telling my superiors um, and it just, yeah, it, it, it lost me my career, basically. Um, they, they, they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't want to know how to deal with it. They had no intentions of, of trying to help with that. It was easier just to get me out of the regiment. Now, I was told that, um, that I had to go and see the medical officer um, just to sort of prove that this had happened, you know. Um, and like I say, you know, th those sort of tests are not oh. pleasant. They're yeah. not pleasant, and and actually, you know, that was it was almost as embarrassing as 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 the fact that that this had happened to me, and um, you know, to go and sort of have to do these tests, and then eventually, anyway, you know, I, I got I got a, I was sort of back and forward to see the, the the commanders, and you know, and at that point, you know, there was me, the medical officer, my my, my regimental sergeant, uh, my my company sergeant major, um, and the um, and the commanding officer who knew about it, so there was only sort of the four of us. Uh, and then but when no I went, support, back, but no, no psychological or mental health support at all. No, no, um, not, not, not at that point, not at that point. Um, and then um, the uh, sorry, um, yeah, the um, no, take take your time, Tommy. Take your yeah, time. no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just um, I, I'd, I'd always wanted to be a soldier. You know, this is all I ever wanted from being. Mm. Being sort of seven, eight year old, you know, this was this was my dream. This is what I always wanted to do. Um, and because of an act that was nothing to do with me, it wasn't my fault. I was just, you know, um, I completely lost it all. Yeah. I lost, I lost yeah. it all. Um, and it, um, yeah, and it. it so I, I, sorry, I was just also, um, you're also sorry, Tommy, because you know, you're also so young as well. Still, I mean, because what age are you now? This I'm age, forty, forty now. You're 49, so this is I mean obviously still incredibly affecting all these years later. But what what age were you when when you left when you had to leave the army? Um, I think I was sort of 20. 20 so 21. a couple of years in then, just yeah, yeah. On that, so I, like I only I only did three year. Um, I, well, I say I did three year. The I was discharged out. Um, hmm. sort of close to the three year mark. Um, yeah, and when when I when I was discharged, you know, it was kind of. I had to sort of quickly get over it because I, well, I was so young, you know, and I, and I couldn't, you know, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't able to retire, but, you know, there was no sort of, you know, there's no sort of golden handshake, so to speak, you know, as, as I left, um, there was, there was none of that. Um, but the one thing, the other, the other thing I was, you know, I was, I was quite a sort of a, a talented football player. Um, and once, you know, once the military, well, actually, sorry, I'll come back to that. Um, when I was discharged um, from the military, I was told that the lads were gunning for me, um, you know, because because the the rumor was that I was gay, um, because of what happened to me, um, and it wasn't safe for me to to return, you know, mm -hmm. to, to return to the military, um, and uh, so yeah, so eventually I got a, I got a letter through the post just saying, you know, from from the date that you received this letter, you're no longer in the military, um. This this will be the discharge date, so um, and that was that was the end of that. You know, that was kind of sort of the end of end end of that really. Um, so hold on, just so just so I'm clear. So literally, there was no support provided at all at that stage from the military at all, either in terms of the trauma you'd experienced, or be the transition back to civilian life. There was nothing at all. And this. And this was told to other people. So, yeah, because um, at that point, um, I was told that, you know, there was only the four of us knew. Um, 
and then I was, and then on on the final meeting when I was up there, the you know that I hadn't, I certainly hadn't told anyone. I was embarrassed, you know, I was embarrassed mm-hmm. about it, so I certainly hadn't told any of the lads. Um, and then I was told, you know, that the lads were shit, the lads were gunning for me, um, and mm-hmm. that. Um, because I was gay, um, and you know that I'd, I'd sort of slept in the same room as these people and whatever else, and um, yeah, so uh, it, it so uh, well then fast forward, mm-hmm. I come out the military and fast. Well, I say fast forward. We'll rewind from now about sort of five year ago, five or six year ago now. I um I, I had a, I had a car and I was buying some wheels off of um of Facebook Marketplace, and I um. I turned up to this house to go and buy these wheels, uh, and one of the guys I served with answered the door. Uh, it was the biggest shock, and I've never felt I've never felt so anxious in a, you know in, in all my life. I literally nearly I nearly turned around and run, and the guy said, "Tommy," I said, "Yeah." He said, "What the hell ever happened to you?" He said, "Well, where did you ever go?" And I was like, "Well, I, I, I was." You know, I was completely sort of. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to say, um, and he was like, "Oh, we we just got told that you that you moved regiment." I was like, "No, no, I got discharged out." And he knows the story now, but so he so so they didn't know. So you were told that they were gunning for you. Yeah. That wasn't true. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And I like say, and I, you know, I just put the military to the back of my mind. And actually, a lot of the lads that I serve with now have added me, you know, on social media and stuff like that. You know, and I do sort of speak to them and. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's yeah, it, it wasn't it, it it it's a it's a it's a time of life, you know. I learned a lot from the military. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, there was things that I did wrong. Um, you know, there was things that um, you know, that, that I could have sort of or decisions and choices that I could have made that you know would 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 have been better. Um, nothing sort of you know not nothing sort of you know detrimental to my career or anything like that, but yeah. um. You know, be, being young and daft, and you know, and, and silly mistakes and stuff. But I certainly didn't deserve. Now, now I can say this. You know, I certainly didn't deserve to be discharged from the military in the way that I was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, no support and, as well. I mean, it's yeah. just incredible. So then, Tommy, so tell us in a bit about obviously the mental health impact that obviously both of those. Well, three sort of distinct things. Obviously, you talked at the start about. Obviously, the abuse you witnessed and experienced at the hands of your father. Then, obviously, Northern Ireland, and then obviously this the all the obviously the discharge from the army. It's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to deal with. So, what were the impacts in your mental health and and and, well, and at that, at that point? Do you know what? At that point, Rory, you know, um, pe- people were wary of me. People were sort of because of the fighting and because of that I wear that I was coming across. People were wary of me, um, mm-hmm. and I had this weird feeling that it was respect i thought people respected me because i was tommy lowther and i was big and i was hard and all the rest of it and it was nothing it wasn't respect it was complete fear it was complete yeah. fear mm-hmm. and it was complete sort of didn't want to approach me because of the unknown of how i was going to react and i just generally thought that i had complete i had completely the wrong outlook on on what respect was and and and, and it's because you know i think i think it's because i put this barrier up of you know, I didn't want anyone else to 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 be able to hurt me. You know, my dad had done yeah. it when I was younger. You know, it would happen to me in Northern Ireland. It happened to me in Gibraltar, and it happened to me while I was getting out of the military. Mm-hmm. I thought I can't have this anymore. I've got to start looking after myself. Yeah, but Tommy, but your but your story highlights. I mean, so often when you see that 
acting out of aggression, it's because there's stuff that we can't, I mean, we don't know or see, and there's always some backstory. And yeah, I think that that that's what that illustrates. Is and the problem, we, but the problem, the problem is though that other people can't see that by yeah, no, totally. by your act of aggression. Yeah, um, you know, and um. So I, to be honest with you, I didn't really understand that, that there was anything wrong with me mentally. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a, I didn't, I never ever considered there was anything mentally wrong. I mean, to be honest with mental health, I had quite a Neanderthal approach to it before I had my breakdown because I, um, I used to think, well, you know, it's not even real. You know, it's it's not a thing. So, so, so then thinking then about you described as your as your breakdown. So t- tell us what happened there then. Well, I was in, I was in the metro. Um, I come away from the military, joined the. Well, I, I actually went down to London. Um, with my with my well, she's my wife now. She was my girlfriend then. But we went we we moved down to London and I started playing semi pro football down there. Um, and you know I I I took a really really bad knock. Um, and couldn't play anymore. Um, and then I thought right, well, do you know what? That the football's out the window now as well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna join. I seen an advert for the to join the Metropolitan Police. So I joined the Metropolitan Police. Um, and the one. I'm not going to go through the whole career, but the the one thing in particular um, that, that that really got me, and it still and it still gets me now, is um, it was around Christmas time, and there was a family walking back from a Christmas party. Uh, there is about to be a graphic description of a car accident. If you would prefer not to listen to this, please skip the next two minutes of the podcast. There was mum, dad, um, little girl, um, <clears throat> and brother. Um, and two lads had stolen a car, um, and they'd come round the corner. They'd skittled, they'd skittled into the fa- the family, um, sent the family flying, like you know that they, they sent them sort of hit them. And so there was like a like a drop, like a probably sort of maybe like a four foot drop off the from the where the road was, down into this sort of um, this 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 estate, and it skittled into this family um, and knocked the whole family sort of flying. But the but the the car had landed on um, on the little girl, and she was I think she was only like four or five. Um, so we we got a, there was a, there was a call come across the radio for um there's been an RTA so a road traffic accident um at the Pembury Estate is there anyone available to to attend so so I said yeah golf down uh, from one zero two uh, we're we're right next to the scene we we can pop round just thinking you know that there's going to be a couple of people that had a bit of a you know that had a bit of a bump you know they were refusing to sort of exchange details or whatever so that's what we were expecting. Um, and when we turned up, there was people everywhere. There was people screaming. The, the car was still on top of the little girl. Oh. Uh, so we had to get her out. Um, so obviously, um, I, I sent my the, the guy that I was with, I sent him to go and check on the family, and I was giving CPR to this little girl. And it was horrible, Rory, because I could I knew she was dead. Yeah, I knew she was dead. And I knew there was nothing else I was going to be able to do for her, but obviously that's not my call to make. Mm-hmm. But I kept working on her, I kept working on her, I kept working on her. Um, and so obviously the ambulance turned up and um, and took her off, and she was pronounced she was pronounced dead um, in the ambulance. Um, so I'd, so then obviously we went down we went down to the hospital for continuity of evidence and everything like that, um, and yeah, I had to then go and give the death message to. To the parents, mm. um, wow. and you know everything, everything else that's happened to me over the years. You know, from being the little seven-year-old all the way through to that day, 
that is single-handedly the worst thing that's ever happened to me. That's the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. And that's mm. including Gibraltar, that's including Northern Ireland. That was single-handedly, that that killed, that, that killed me. And it, in fact, actually, do you know what? I say that because it, it now did kill me later mm. on. Um, and there was no debrief off that because... I got back to the Nick, I got back to the police station after I'd sort of been in the hospital and delivered the message and, and whatever else. Um and but by that time, by the time I'd got back, my shift had finished. Yeah. So um and it was the new shift that was on. So um and and it was our rest days after that, you know. So after that day we had sort of rest days. Um so there was never any sort of debrief, there was never any sort of mental health assessment because it was just one of them things, you know, where you no, know, you're a police officer, you know, this is what we deal with, and and it's you know, you you need to sort of just move on. And I, I don't think it was anyone's fault as such. Well, just to put the system obviously failed. The system failed, though, in a yeah. sense that there should be, there's there should be should have been systems in place that there's a debrief no matter when your shift ended. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's uh, like, si since um, I've, I've seen counsellors and I've I've seen, you know, I've, I've, I've been for, uh, you know, different sort of psychotherapies and stuff. And that is so deep rooted inside me now. That mm -hmm. I cannot, I can't get rid of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've tried. I have tried. Yeah. Um, so then, so then, but so that that obviously really monumental impact on you. So, so then, did you get? So, I know you've said obviously you have sought and got support since, but did that all happen? Did you get support then after? Or you yeah. Said that so what, what, what happened? I um, we 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 sort of moved back to the northeast. So my wife and I were having my 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 son. It was obviously now you know coming up eighteen. Yeah. Um, so we had my son, and then we 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 wanted to come back to the northeast. Um, so we we moved back to the northeast, and uh, I, uh, I I set up my own little business. Well, I, I was actually um, a talent scout for Middlesbrough Football Club, you know. So I was going out and sort of finding like local talent, you know, putting them into sort of the academy and stuff like that. It was a, it was a good job. I, I enjoyed that. But then um, I got offered a job with uh, a pharmaceutical company, um, and. Uh, I went there. I, I went. I, I just. I didn't. I went in just as a temp at first, um, and then you know, I sort of did really, really well. I got offered a permanent job, sort of fairly quickly, a lot quicker, a lot quicker than than you know than normally happens. So yeah, so I was flying. I was doing really, really well. Um, and then I just remember there was one day I was on my way to work. I was for a night shift, and I can see it now. I know exactly where I was. I could take to the exact spot. Um, and on my way to work, I just got this overwhelming desire, just a really, really strong strong emotional desire to put my car off the road and, and off you know off this off this mm -hmm. cliff and I was completely I was like I just didn't understand it I didn't know couldn't understand it at all and I was bursting into tears and I was driving to work I'm thinking what the hell's wrong with me um I got to work I sat in that car park and I cried and cried and cried um, and my, my boss come up um and he um he said look what what what's wrong I said I, honestly I, said, I don't know I said I have no idea he said, "Look," he said, "you can't come to work in that state." And I told him about the fact, you know, that I wanted to put my car over the over the yeah. over the tops, and and he just said, "Look," he said, "you know, you're not in a fit state to be at work. You know, you need to you need to go home." Um, so he sent me home. Um, and thinking about it now, you know, he he was without doubt just looking after me, you know. He, mm -hmm. But I just told him that I wanted to put my car over the edge, and he suggested that I drive home. And again, you know, this yeah. sort of. But that 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 sort of comes on to to the reason why I, I sort of do the mental health training. But yeah, yeah, you know, and and again, over the coming months and over the coming, you know, hold on, the, so, so hold on, just stop you there, so, Tommy. So once again, you didn't get support. So let's say you, you just went home then. 
I just I just drove home, yeah. And you didn't I contact your GP or do anything or no. Or nobody contacted, right? Okay. So so okay, so but then so over the coming months then you're saying over the coming months I I just um I really, really started going downhill. Um fighting, drinking a lot. Um like like bad, like like every every weekend. And I started, you know, I was getting arrested. Um I, it wasn't it, yeah it wasn't a good time um and you know i was going into work i remember going to work and i had black eyes and i had burst noses and i was going into work you know where i'd driven to i'd driven to have a night out and then i'd just sleep in my car and then go to work the next day and me, 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 you know i was filthy you know yeah. where i'd been having a roll around with someone and my jeans were filthy muddy and i was just a mess i was just an absolute mess um but i couldn't see it yeah i couldn't see it and i was just you know my, my poor wife and my kids seen all of it. Um, you know, and 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 the company did try to help. I, I couldn't see it at the time. I thought they were just, you know, I thought they were just out to get me at the time. But in hindsight, I you know, I can mm-hmm. I can now say that, you know, that the 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 they were trying to help me. Um but the one thing that they did do eventually I mean eventually I ended up losing my job because I had I had more time off and you know I was turning in to work and I wasn't fit for work and yeah, you know whatever yeah. else. I, eventually, I ended up losing my job for it. But what they did do, they said, "Look, go and speak to the guys that help for heroes, um, and go and see what um, and you know, because we we think you need some help." Great. Yeah. So I went to help for heroes, um, and and sure enough, yeah, I, I was you know. The... So so what did they, what what did help for heroes provide then? Just was it a sense of community or did was there a counselling offer? No, or... no, no, no. I mean, it, it it had to be more. It had to be more than that because I was I was genuinely, you know, like the one thing that I've missed out in that whole thing, you know, is the fact that suicide was playing a big part. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to die. I just I couldn't see any other way out. Yeah, you know this. Um, my my wife my wife was constantly worried. You know, she she locked me in the house before. You know, because. She was worried about me sort of going out and and, and doing whatever, you know, and and sort of taking my own life. And, you know, she was genuinely worried. And a lot of my friends and and people who who sort of friends and loved ones and whatever else, you know, genuinely thought. And they were just waiting for the phone call that that I'd done it. So so then what support did, what what did you get from Help help for Heroes, which... So, so, yeah, so I I went and spoke to one of their counsellors and I got some counselling through them. Um, I got some counselling through them and... and what they did, they, they put me into see a psych, a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist, right? Um, and I went through my whole story as I have with you guys, yeah. um, and uh, they he diagnosed me with post traumatic stress disorder, so PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I can't tell you how much relief I got from just being diagnosed, and the reason yeah. I felt so relieved was because it was at that point I realised I wasn't a horrible person. I wasn't just this horrible, nasty. Just want to go out and fight and get drunk, and I wasn't. I wasn't. There was a reason behind it. Um, yeah, there's an explanation. There yeah. was, you know, mm-hmm. and it, because for you know for for a long time, you know, I was just like, well, th- this is just me, you know. I'm I'm turning into my I'm turning into my my, my real dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that frightened me more than anything about turning into him, mm-hmm. you know. And I hope he I hope he sees this video, and I hope he I hope he understands that he was you know he was a catalyst for a lot of a lot was gone on and not just yeah. for me but my brothers and sisters yeah and he you know and so yeah so when i got that diagnosis i, I you know that that was kind of sort of the point where i thought right okay there's a there's a there's a genuine reason behind this um 
the problem is, you know, I, I always use an analogy now when I'm doing sort of mental health training, when I speak to people who are suffering with mental health, you've got to hit rock bottom. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but you've got to hit rock bottom because the thing, if you if you take an analogy of being in a swimming pool, if you hit rock bottom, if you hit the bottom of the pool, you can push yourself up. But if you're sitting in that middle distance between the top and the bottom, you've got nothing to push off. Yeah, that's a great analogy, actually. Yeah, You've got nothing to push off. So you need to hit rock bottom. You need to hit the bottom of the pool in able to be able to push yourself up and give yourself leverage so that you can then start, you know, you can start getting better. But the one thing you've got to do first, you've got to forgive yourself. You've mm -hmm. got to forgive yourself for what happened to me in Gibraltar. I've got to forgive myself, you know, for, for you know, for, 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 for everything else that I've done. Mm -hmm. Like I say, and I was able to do that once I got my diagnosis. I don't think, you know, had I not got my diagnosis, I, I genuinely, I, I, well, I don't, I don't even, I don't even think I'd be now. Yeah. I definitely don't think I'd be now. Well, we're obviously delighted that you are still here, Tommy, and, and obviously you got the support that you needed. So then the the um so then how did that so moving a bit further forward then? So sporting force then. Yeah. So how did that come out come about then in terms of um and your mental health training stuff and whatever and yeah, so um so when I went and got support from um from Help for Heroes, um I went on one of their courses called the Pathfinder course. Um, and it's genuinely the one thing that saved my life because um, alongside me and my family. But um, during the Pathfinder course, you know, I'd lost my job. Um, I was, you know, I was on benefits at that point. And um, they said, look, you know, you need to find something that makes you tick, something that gets you out of bed on the morning, makes you happy and focus. Um, and I thought, well, do you know what? I like my sport. I like helping people. I get a real, I get a real buzz out of watching someone else grow off the back of me helping them, if that makes sense. And it's almost selfish because, you know, but I do, I get a real buzz off watching someone else yeah. develop from, you know, from something I don't think, I don't think that's selfish. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, so I come up with the idea and thought, well, can we get veterans into into sports clubs? Can we get the football clubs to sort of buy it or an ethos of employing veterans and everything mm -hmm. like that? So, um, so again, so because I was doing the, the, the stuff with Middlesbrough, that was my first club. So I, yeah, so even, you know, even, even when, even when I was, dealing with help for heroes there was one particular person i won't name any names of course but there was one particular person who when i told her about the idea she was like you're not going to be able to do that that's too big you cannot do that there's no way that you can do that and i thought you know what? i'm sick to death of people telling me what i can and can't do and i'm sick mm -hmm. to death of things being taken from me that weren't my fault that wasn't my fault yeah so I thought, you know what actually sod you i am going to do this and um you know, and sort of nine years on now, I come up, yeah, nine years on now, you know, we've we've got access to every football club in the country. You know, we've we help thousands and thousands and thousands of veterans every single year and their families. So, you know, so that little thing that she said to me, you know, yeah. albeit she didn't mean it to, to be reverse psychology, it definitely was and it definitely worked. Yeah. So, Give you the incentive, the incentive to show it did, it did, yeah. you know what? Because it, it it I had a I had a new fire in my belly, you know, because of like, I've just had knock after, I feel like I've had knock after knock after knock. And this isn't me sort of becoming a martyr. And this isn't me sort of, you know, looking for um for sympathy because I don't want sympathy. It doesn't, it's not what I'm after. It doesn't help me. It doesn't make me, you know, it doesn't help me at all. So, yeah, but, you know, from from her sort of saying that, that just gave me a bit of fire in my belly. I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to do this. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, so like I say, so we help get um, ex-service men and women into, into work and into tra training and, you know the fun side of things what sport can offer, um, you know through professional sport. So, um, so is it all professional sports or is it football or rugby? Or... No, no, no. It's all. So it started off as football, but it's now it's all professional sports now. So we work with rugby clubs, we work with cricket clubs, we work with tennis. It could be tiddlywinks. It doesn't matter what sport it is. 
as long as you know, as long as they they're, they're willing to sort of give these guys a a chance, mm-hmm. you know, um, then you know that we'll we'll we'll, we'll work with them. So um, and it's and it's all and so it's it's all veterans. It's it's all veterans at the minute. So um, yeah, well, veterans and their families, because yeah. you know, I, I know my wife and my kids. You know, they 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 were a big part of my recovery. And if it hadn't have been for them, you know, I probably mm-hmm. would have. Uh, well, again, I wouldn't be here now. But so we fight with it. It's very very important that we look after the family as well. We look yeah. after the family as a unit. So um. But yeah, so we're soon going to be breaking into working with you know the blue light services because obviously my, my connection there, yeah, um, and you know so looking at the the doctors and the nurses, especially off the back of COVID and you know mm-hmm. and everything that those guys have done for the country as well, so they deserve a bit of help too. So just for those who are listening, so MQ, um, the mental health charity, have a book coming out. I think Craig, when when's the book coming out? Uh, roughly around the week of uh, Mental Health Week in May. So it's in May of next year, and. And Tommy, your story is included in the book, isn't it? Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. So I'm looking forward to reading, looking forward to reading that. I think I've done some bits for that book as well. So I'm keen. For, really, it looks like a fantastic, fantastic book. Now, Craig, I've also forgotten what's it called. Or Tommy, do you know what it's called? The book. There is no name at the moment, but There's it's no coming name, but is there a, Is there like a running title, or a, are you allowed to say? No, uh, no, not, you're not, just, not just yet. Okay. We're keeping the mystery at the moment. <laughs> Keep the mystery. Well, not know then, Craig. So, Tommy, what's your idea of the future of mental health research? I think it's to get a better understanding um, of of what's of what's actually going on. Um, you know, and the thing is, you know, we we can look at mental health from from a from a sort of a couple of different perspectives. I think it's very very helpful getting someone with lived experience. I think that needs to be part of it because you know, all all too often. You know, and I don't just mean mental health, but I mean across, you know, all sectors and, you know, all research across every sort of thing you can think of, you know, is a lot of the time you've got people who who have got qualifications in in research and qualifications and looking at things. But in actual fact, what it says in the book isn't necessarily sort of how things are. So I think for me, I think for me, it's it's, it's important to get the lived experience. It's important to get. Um, the perspective of someone who sort of you know who who's gone through it. Um, as far as the research, like I say, you know, there's there's there's, there's a number of different things you know that that I've, that I've found sort of interesting, you know, around so so um, so around you know like like women when they have sort of the the, the monthly cycles, um, you know that I've I've noticed we've done a little bit of research ourselves, you know, in 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 the charity in Sport and Force, and that actually a lot of the time you know with with sort of PMT and stuff like that, guys are going through. The similar thing so it's almost like they're cycling with their partners i know it's not you know not the physical signs but um you know so it's 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 just sort of understanding what what it looks like from a family perspective i think it's it's about um yeah i'm not sure if i've answered your question very well there but i think you know it's um i think that the, the other problem as well is the other problem is that in this country our doctors and our, and our you know and our, our sort of specialists they don't get time they don't get the time to be able to sort of work through with someone so a lot of the time now what they do is they say look get you know take these antidepressants and antidepressants are great but they're not they're not supposed to be a long-term fix that's not what they're there for they're supposed to be a short-term fix to get you to the point where you then go and take professional help but actually but a lot of the time you know that the, the, they just don't get the, the doctors and and they just don't get the time to be able to sort of work with people. So natural fact, people end up getting misdiagnosed. They end up getting not getting the treatment that's appropriate for what it is that they need. So um, so yeah, I think that's that's the big thing for me. Yeah, it's a great answer. Yeah, really good answer. I think the highlighting the importance, obviously, of lived experience. I think that's, I mean, in in the mental health research field, and that's been a huge development in in recent years. Is really that having 
people lived experience involved at all levels of co-design of research, implementation of, res of research, and moving forward leadership of research. So I think that's a really, really vital point. Well, Tommy, we've been, we've obviously we've gone through a lot of pretty um, tough, heavy stuff, but really, well, the, I suppose a really um, uplifting end point, obviously, is the the charity work that um, and. Um, with with sporting sporting force, but I want to sort of bring it to, to sort of our conversation to an end. With we try and Craig and I try and have two sort of more not quite lighthearted, but a bit a bit slightly different questions. So I'm going to throw those two questions at you if that's okay. So and and again, it's just what comes into your head. Don't overthink the questions. So yeah, yeah. I'm actually maybe take then um what the the first one. The first one is um. So you obviously you've had a number of different careers, but in sort of your maybe a wish list if you had another life or whatever, or what other career would you thought you would have liked to do? And and you can't say footballer, obviously, because you're a semi-professional footballer from what I can tell her. So yeah. but I think um God, if I was given a choice, I think I think possibly a PE teacher. Yeah, quite mm -hmm. quite don't let this chubby facade. You know, don't don't let this fool you. You know, um, I do know a little bit about sport, but yeah, I think you know, possibly a PE teacher. I think possibly. Um, I mean, like I say, I would have said police officer. And if I had to go back to any job, it would be uh, of all of the ones that I've had. I think yeah. police. But yeah, I think for me, it would be um a PE teacher. I think. Yeah, yeah, and inspire the next generation of athletes. Yeah. Hopefully. Exactly. Um, and then maybe the last one. The last one is so you've just said you're forty. So thinking back over the last thirty-four years. What advice, um, obviously you've been on one heck of a journey, what advice would you give your 16-year-old self? God, I don't know how long we've got here, but um, I think, you know, it's be be sure in the decisions that you're making. Uh, you know, sort of, sort of go with what makes you happy. Now, a lot of people chase money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've, had, I've had money, I've been on the bones of my backside now, you know, and everything in between. And I think the one thing that I would say now looking back, the one thing I wish I'd done was done what makes me happy. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing. Um, because you know, money money certainly doesn't it you know, it, it can buy you immaterial in, in things, it can buy, you know, it can buy experiences and stuff like that. But the rock bottom of it all, mm -hmm. the one thing for me now is my family and 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 being happy without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, and no, I think that's great advice, me, because I think um I suppose one of the things when I'm I remember when I became a parent first and that was what I hoped I would try and do and still in my children is happiness is a, is the most important thing it, it is and it is yeah, yeah exactly and you can't buy that but before we finish very finally I think that that was the first mention of, of bones on your backside in the podcast series so far I've never I don't think I've had that term I don't think I've heard that term I've never heard that term either oh, yeah. right. I'm going to use it now for <laughs> it's a great it's a great term Okay, one last last word to you, Tommy. If people want to support the charity Sporting Force, what what can people do? Yeah, so um, so yeah, so you can go on to you can get us on all our social media links. You know, your Facebook and Twitter, and you know, um, and all all the, all the usual ones. Um, and if they want to come and support us, we, we we always need volunteers to come and get involved with the different things that we're doing. Um, we and and obviously, you know, we being a charity, you know, the the financial. Things always always hard. So if you go onto our website, which is www.sportingforce.org, I can um, catch us up on the social media platforms. Okay, well, thanks, Tommy, for taking the time to join Craig and I today. I think um, and really, really fantastic work that you're doing and with the charity. And um, 
and one heck of a story. So thanks for sharing it and hopefully it'll help others who have experienced similar similar things to yourself to hopefully get the support that we so they so badly need. And it's all about building or breaking down barriers and, and challenging stigma. So huge thanks from the team at MQ here. So thanks a million, Tommy. I think, you know, if no, thank you for having me. Um, I think if I was going to finish on one thing, certainly around sort of sexual health, uh, sexual health, sexual um, assault in men is not something that, that is spoken about. It's not something, and, and if it's happened to people, genuinely get it off your chest, speak to someone about it, um, because it is, it is a hard subject and it's, it's not one that's often spoken about with men. Um, so yeah, so please go and get the support that you need. No, thanks, Tommy. And actually, on that note, just for those listening, is that we'll post some um, links to su support charities and agencies for really difficult issues raised today. So um, thanks very much. That was a, that was a tough listen, but hopefully an important uh, an important listen. So thanks on behalf of Craig and I again, Tommy. Thank you. Thank and you very goodbye. much. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. If you have been affected by any of the themes we have spoken about in today's episode, you can reach out to Help for Heroes or Rape Crisis. Details for both are in the show notes. You could also speak to the Samaritans anytime by calling 116-123. This is the last episode of Season 1 of the MQ Open Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next year with more guests and more research. MQ Open Mind is presented by MQ Mental Health Research the only organization that exclusively invests into scientific research around mental health. Our vision is to create a world where mental illnesses are understood, effectively treated, and one day prevented. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think about the podcast. Each review helps us reach a wider audience. Visit mqmentalhealth.org to learn more about MQ and mental health research.